How many of you have kids? All right, let me see um, kind of who's, who's doing what. How many of you, um, your kids are under seven? All right, you're tired. How many of your kids are in the between seven and high school space? Oh, a bunch. You're <laughs> it's not going to last forever, guys. I mean, the fact that they like you. Um, how many of you have teenagers? Very cool. You have a pretty mixed group. You know, I kid about the teenage thing. For those of you who haven't gotten to teen years, Tori and I say this all the time, it's people... Um, would right when our girls who are um, they're twenty almost twenty what year are you twenty and twenty one but yeah Lucy's about to have a birthday so I always go you know when is that um, right when they were turning teenage turn to be teenagers people give me grief when I go everywhere it's, oh you're gonna have teenage girls yeah and and seriously I'm just giving you a little word of encouragement here teenage. Having teenage kids is the most fun I've ever had in my life. I'm dead serious. It's the most fun thing. Parenting teenagers, we just had a blast. So I would encourage you um, about that. All righty. Question. I'm not, you know, it's not a trick question. I ask you how to to answer it. Um, What's the goal of parenting? Now, you know, there's 80,000 ways that we could we could, uh, you know, answer that. But I want to give you one, um, of mainly the way that I look at it, because people, you know, they're always talking about, you know, we're going to raise good kids and, and godly kids and, you know, all this stuff, um, which is important. But when I think about raising kids, when I think the goal of parenting, our job in that, is what we're really trying to do is we're trying to create, build, and augment character. Because a person's character is their destiny. All right? So what we're doing as parents, you know, you got to make them behave, you got to get them to school, and we get caught up in all of the stuff that we do. But here's how I want to orient this Um, in the beginning. Everything you do as a parent is not about what you're doing. It's not about getting the homework done. It's not about getting the teeth brushed and into bed. It's not about, you know, whatever that day is. Whatever you're doing, you're doing that. That's the context that you get to be building character in that day. That's the game you're playing to build this thing called character. Now, I want to start out by telling you something because we're in church and a lot of people hear the word character and they instantly kind of go moral, right? You don't want them to lie, cheat, and steal. Well, how many people do you know as adults they wouldn't, you know, lie, cheat, or steal, but you wouldn't choose to really work for them or hang out with them either. Or how many of you have had bosses? They wouldn't lie, cheat, or steal, but do you want to work for that person again? Or do you want to date that person again if you're looking back in your single days? See, what we're talking about when we talk about character is we're talking, in the, and what I'm going to focus on tonight, because it, it is directly, directly correlated with mental health. When I say character, what I mean is makeup. The makeup of the kid, who they are, how they're constructed. When I say what parenting is about, what we're doing is we're building a kid that's constructed in a sound way. So when they go out into the real world as adults, they've got the equipment to deal with the demands of reality because that's what they're going to have to deal with. And to the degree that our equipment is not overtaxed by any situation, then we're able to process it, we're able to deal with it, we're able to overcome it, and we kind of get through it. But 
when we have mental illness, by and large, and there's biological issues and other things that, that I'll get to, but by and large, in these areas that we look at, you know, depression, anxiety disorders, mood disorders, anxiety disorders, all that kind of stuff, basically that's an algorithm between something in life is too much for the equipment to handle it. And so, in other words, everybody goes through losses. Some people, as adults, when they go through losses, the equipment can't process that loss, and that loss turns into a clinical depression, for example. And a lot of that's because of what they're carrying around inside of them when that loss comes into their life. So what we're really doing every moment with our kids is we're doing whatever we're doing, but we're also thinking about what's getting built into this kid through this experience. Now, originally, the word character, that's, what it, that's one of the words it came from. It means experience. In fact, the English um, word for it was an engraved mark. When you engrave you know, a bracelet or something, you leave a mark on it. Well, that's what experience does to us. It builds us. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide experiences for our kids, and we're trying to help them experience the experiences that they go through in a way that builds competencies. So that, to me, is how we look at parenting. All right, now, that sounds like a lot of work, right? It is. But parenting's also fun. I was, I was thinking about, how should, how should I talk about this tonight? Because we get so serious about parenting. And it's also, I just, there's, seriously, I mean, there's nothing we've ever done that is, you know, it's just fun. Because they're so, well, starting early on, they're just so funny. I was trying to remember, what are a couple of, when I think about the kids, when they were, you know, we were kind of in those years that y'all are, some funny moments, there were so many of them, so I thought I'll share two of them with you. Um, when Olivia, our oldest, she would kill me if she knew I was telling you this story. Um, so it came time for potty training. And so the way we did that was um, we kind of, you know, potty training works best when it's based in envy, which means I want to do that instead of you got to do that, right? So um, what we did was we got the little equipment and we put it, you know, there's a little bathroom off the den and, and we had a little potty in there. And so we'd be doing stuff in the den, but she always knew it was there. And we'd tell you, you can use it whenever you want to. And so then the big day comes and Olivia goes, I want to go to the big potty. We said, okay, go. It's down the hall. Have at it. And so she goes down there. We're, we're in the den. She, she walks down the hall. She disappears into the bathroom. Everything's quiet. And Tori and I are looking at each other going. And we're waiting, waiting, waiting. We keep waiting, waiting, waiting. And after, I don't know, it seemed like the longest time, she goes, I need a magazine. <laughs> so there's a couple of principals in there. <laughs> they are watching you <laughs> as they build their equipment. And then um, the Lucy story <laughs> that made me laugh. Lucy was always kind of like, she's the artist, and, and so here's the world, and here's Lucy. You know, kind of like, y'all probably have one like that if you have more than one. They're 180 or a few degrees off, you know, of the way everybody else sees the world. And, in fact, Olivia has kept a list of Lucyisms that she said over the years. And I think, I think my favorite Lucyism is she was about five years old and we were on a vacation and we we're having dinner in a restaurant and the server comes up and says you know she's getting everybody's order she turns to Lucy says so what, what would you, you know what do you want and Lucy goes I want a steak she goes oh okay and she writes down she says how do you like your steak Lucy goes I don't know I haven't tasted it yet <laughs> anyway Record these moments. You'll need them at rehearsal dinners later. Okay, so I want to give you a couple of principles because as we talk about mental health, what I want to talk about is the parenting process that builds the equipment that actually builds mental competency. And then we're going to loop back and come into the specifics of large categories of mental health disorders and kind of some... Um, how those two, those two connect. So I'm going to give you a couple of things in the beginning to think about these 
principles. Basically, one of the most important principles about parenting that you can remember is this, that what was once on the outside becomes inside. The process is called internalization. What was once outside becomes inside. Now, what that means is, like, um, if you've got a little one and you're, you know, you're teaching them to go on walks and they got to learn to not step off the curb, right? You come up to the curb and the toddler's going to walk out and you go, no, no, wait back here. They pull back. Okay, let's go. And then you walk. You look both ways and walk. All right, well, then the next day, going out on a walk, what do they do? They step up. No, 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 no. Wait. Remember, we talked about the curb. Got to wait. They wait, and then you go again. Next day, they, they go. And, and then somewhere in there, like the third day or so, they come up there, and they start stepping, and they go, No! See, now they've internalized the external limit. Now it's equipment that lives inside. I remember um, at some friend's house, this was, was Bill and Julie when, when their son was, was really little, and we were um, watching something one night, and Billy was, you know, a toddler, maybe three or so, and, and for timeouts, they, they use what they call the red chair, and Billy would have to go sit, sit in the red chair. And so we're, we're watching TV, and Billy kept walking in front of the TV, and they go, Billy, move, move. And, 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 so, and then he'd come back. He's trying to get attention. He'd come back, and Billy, don't walk. Me. And so finally, about the third or fourth time, he comes out, and then he goes, I need to go sit in the red chair. <laughs> and see, that's what happens. That's how God wired us. And you've got to remember, and so that's one thing. What's external becomes internal. The second thing is this, that for behavior and character and competencies to be built, there's a neurological process. And if you do it this way, you will be building things inside your kid. And here's the process. Number one, there has to be awareness. Number one, there has to be awareness. So they got to know what we're talking about. We got to give them the expectation. We got to explain something to them. You know, that's the curb. I don't want you walking in the street. Notice I said, I don't want you. I didn't say, we don't walk in the street, do we? And we'll get to that in a moment. One of the worst parenting things out there. We're going to do this or we're going to eat our vegetables. We, we, we. No, it's a me and a you. And I'm trying to promote self-control, and how can I have self-control if everybody's a co-pilot of me? So I'm going to say, okay, I want you to stop. Now we're going to teach them this. The first thing, anything you're trying to teach your kid is awareness. But awareness will not build any kind of internal structure. It just doesn't do it. That's why when you, you go hear Gare on Sunday, and you hear this sermon, you go out in the week... You're not different yet. Now, the sermon, the awareness, what you're teaching your child is absolutely 100% essential. He gives us God's ways. He teaches us. We've got to be aware of it. But as Jesus said, how many people know the verse, the truth shall set you free? How many of you know that? Okay. Tell me what it says right before then. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. All right? So everybody thinks, okay, got to know the truth. Got to memorize the Bible. Got to have teaching. Got to have all this. Absolutely. But what does it say right before that? We never hear it, do we? Here's what it says. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, if you walk in my teachings, if you do these things I'm talking about, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So remember, knowing is not enough, but knowing is essential. Thank you, Gary, for preaching to us. But something has to happen after Sunday. And the second thing that parenting's got to do is have something called focused attention on what we've talked about. 
And focused attention means, like Deuteronomy 6 says, as we're walking through life, we're pointing out stuff on the go when they're doing it. Okay? We're getting close to the curb. What are you going to do? Here's my focused attention. I'm building a trigger. And then the third thing is deliberate practice. Okay, I'm putting some big, con- big picture concepts up here first. Number one is internalization. They're going to take from you. It's going to live inside of them. And I'll talk about the specifics in a moment. Number two is the process. So I got to be aware of something. Then in real time, I've got to have it kind of pointed out while I'm in the whatever I'm doing. And then the child has got to have some way of practicing that. Okay? Now, if you think about those, that's kind of the ingredients for the process. Those are all going to go in a big pot. And in that pot, we're going to have two things. And you can take all the research about parenting and everything we know about parenting that's ever been done and sum it up in two factors. The healthiest kids come from homes where there is high warmth and high expectations. Okay? High warmth and high expectations. And what happens is, You get high warmth and no expectations. Well, that's love without limits, right? And you get a dysfunctional, either scattered, identity diffused, not knowing, you know, what they're doing, kind of lost kid or addict or, you know, it's, it's like people that just don't have any structure, okay? On the other hand, if you get high expectations but no warmth, then we break people. That's what, you know, demanding, like demanding parents or bosses do. And it's, that's why Ephesians says, fathers don't exasperate your children to wrath. And that's the expectations of the heavy-handed discipline without the support to get there. Now, broadly speaking, what is that from the Bible's perspective? That's grace and truth. And you'll always see those two parallel things. And you can, if you set your compass as a parent for the next 18 years or however long you're going to do this, you know, I think it's 43 in California, right? (laughs) In every interaction, I want to have grace, which is love and support and warmth, and I want to have truth. Okay, some kind of reality is brought to the situation. If you will always do those two, then you're going to get a kid that's going to integrate and they're going to be able to be somebody that's love, that loves and also has, you know, the ability to be responsible. All right. So that's a few big kind of big picture things. Now, oh, one more. One more big picture thing. It's always about the future. Always about the future. We have some good friends. Um, their boys are grown now, but when they were they were kids, um, I, I remember one night we were over there and and having dinner and just hanging out. And so the husband got a call. He went to study, and the wife was sort of you know doing some stuff. And I'm sitting in the kitchen talking to her, and then she she takes off, and, and, and she was gone a little bit, and so. I'm going, where's, where did Allison go? So I'm, I walked down the hall, and when I did, she's, the, the 14-year-old son's room is off the hall, and I walk down, and I look, and she's in his room, you know, cleaning up, picking up clothes and sports equipment and all this stuff. And I'm looking at her, like, I'm just standing there, and I'm watching this, and I'll never forget she, she's picking up something. She turns and she sees me. And she goes, what? Because you could tell. Um, she goes, what? And I said, I'm just thinking about his future wife. And I'll never forget the blood just drained out of her face. She dropped it and walked out. <laughs> Everything's about the future. It may be homework today. It's tax returns tomorrow. Right? You get it? 
we're building equipment. We're building the makeup of a kid to be able to deal with the demands of reality. So let's go through the areas of how a kid is actually actually constructed. Now you're going to have all of these four. Now all of these four you're getting built depending on the age of your kids, but these are going to be cycles that you run through over and over and over. Okay, the first thing, it's like building a house. First thing we do when we build a house is what? It's the very first thing. The foundation. Okay, what is the foundation of a human being? Anybody? Okay, apart from physical safety, in the construction of the person, that's right. What? Love. Somebody say love. The hard questions come later. We're going to start there. Okay, now, but specifically what we mean by love, when we're talking about mental capacity, specifically what we're talking about when we talk about love, we're not talking about so much in the foundation of a human. We're not talking about acts of service or choices or things we do for them, even though that's an aspect of love. But in mental health and building a human, what we're talking about when we're talking about love is we're talking about attachment. We're talking about connection. We're talking about the capacity. This is the the most important thing that you're going to build in your child. Let me say it again. The most important thing you're going to build in your child is the ability to make an emotional investment in people. And from that emotional investment, to draw from the outside what they need for the inside. All right? That's called dependency. It's built on trust. It's built on vulnerability. And it starts out, that's why God didn't make babies where they show up. I mean, how many of you, old ladies, you've all, if you had kids, unless you adopted them, you you gave birth to them. The ones that you gave birth, how many of you, right when that, that, that newborn was delivered out of your body, how many of your babies turned to you and said, gee, mom, was that hard on you? Can I help you? Can I clean up around here? What do you need? See, they didn't do that, did they? What did they do? Not only that day, but continuously, what did they do? What is that? What that is is, that is a scream out of a need state for a connection to something in the outside world that is going to have a transformational moment where that need state of terror, panic, anxiety, hunger, whatever that is, and that connection is going to transform that need state into something that goes, ah. Okay? They don't have that capacity inside that gets internalized from the outside. Now what happens is, as you're doing that over and over and over, and over and over and over. What happens? You pick them up. The scientific term for this is called attunement. And basically, it is the, you're building on the skill of empathy. And if you look at, you know, mommy's face, take mothers and babies or the caretaker, what are they doing? They're mirroring, oh, and they're cooing, and they're making all these, you know, noises that, Nobody understands, but they're like in this dance and this kid's being transformed out of terror into calm, all right? What happens over time? Well, in the beginning, it's probably, you know, every three hours or so, (laughs) right? And they take it in, they go into a milk coma and then they wake you up later. But as that continues, because of the process of internalization, Now, what was once on the outside, meaning mommy's love or mommy's care or daddy or caretaker, whoever it is, but love, what was once on the outside is being gradually turned into 
character or makeup or wiring on the inside so that they're going to get to be at some age, it usually consolidates around three, where they're going to go in the backyard and not have separation anxiety. Why? Because they still got mommy or the caretaker or their love. See, now they go, this is why you can go to work and you're in a stressful day and you look at your phone and there's your spouse's picture or loved one's pictures or, you know, we always turn to our dog when we need comfort. You know, there's Finley. And what happens? You just kind of have this warm bath, right? Why? Because you've internalized that love. So when you're talking about a child, the process of emotional attunement will not end. It starts there, and it's going to go all the way through. And what happens is, get to the mental health part, a lot of behavioral problems, for example, people kind of think, well, they need, they just need discipline or boundaries or something like that. When really what's driving that underneath it is some sort of isolation or disconnection or whatever that might even come later. So now they're in the sixth grade and they feel outside the, outside the friend group. Well, they get isolated. Well, then that's the formula for a depression or worse. So the, remember, the first skill of parenting that never goes away is empathy. It's basically having your child know that their, their feeling states, whatever those are, that they're understood and felt. And y'all know this. You know, it's just empathy. I remember a friend of mine who's a psychologist was, was saying one time, his wife, um, his wife went on a trip and their daughter was like, I don't know, five or something. And so he had to get her off to to kindergarten, and she's lollygagging. He'd look in there and say, you know, I forgot what her name was, um, Sam. Sam, get ready. We got to go. We got to go. And she's like, okay. But she's lollygagging, and he comes back. Get ready. I told you to get. And he's, he says he keeps coming back. He's kind of getting amped. He's going to be late. And he's getting exasperated. I told we got to get ready. And then, you know, she's kind of looks lost, and then it hits him, and he says, to himself, he said, what would I do if this, if this were one of my patients? I mean, she's acting out, right? He said, what would I, how would I formulate this? What would, he said, and then I went, oh, my gosh. He walks over to her. He got down, he got down you know, in her face, eye to eye, and he looks at her and he says, you miss your mommy, don't you? You miss your mommy, don't you? And she goes, and she falls in his arms. He says, I know, I miss her too. And, and then he's holding her and she's crying. And then all of a sudden she goes, Daddy, we got to go. We'll see what happened. What happened was that empathy made everything else work. All right, so I'm not going to spend all night on this, but I want you to remember all the way through, your child is going to need from their parents that you, you understand me. And we want to, as parents, we, our default is to persuade them and teach them and tell them and get them out of that state and this, that, and the other, when mainly what they need primarily in the beginning is for us to be there. Okay? So that's number one. Now, the mental health side of that is that kids begin to have behavioral problems, depression, and other kinds of stuff when either they don't have secure attachment, right? They have insecure attachment or they have stuff going on in their lives later that's making them feel detached from the sources of care that they need. A lot of times it even happens in friends groups. Okay, so empathy and connection. Empathy and connection. I'll never forget when, um, when I was, uh, I think it was in the fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, I got mono, and I got really, really sick, and I missed a month of school, and then I had to go back, and I was so far behind, and every day, and I have to stay late, every day just seemed like the biggest thing ever, and <clears throat> I was standing in my room, and I just, it's time to go to school, and I, I remember I was just, like, felt like the whole world was there crashing on me, and I never forget this, my mom walks in, 
who was, um, uh, how would you describe this part of her? I mean, she's, she's just high functioning. She was, just, you know, she, she ran a business and she was strong and, and, and so she goes, what, what's going on? And I said, I just don't want to do it. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Can't go do it. It's too much. I'll never forget this. She looked at me and she said, yeah, you know, sometimes I don't want to go to work either. It's just too hard. I feel that same way. And I, I remember this moment. I looked at her and I said, really? You feel that way? She goes, oh, yeah, a lot. But sometimes we have to do it. And I... I just remember something shifted in that moment of the identification with the need. It's like a guy was riding on a plane one time. He was talking about his daughter, his teenage daughter, and she was, she was. He said, "I'm struggling with her. You know, she she needs some boundaries." And he said, "You know what those are?" It's kind of weird when I get that question. I go, "Yeah, I've heard of those." And he says, you know, because teenagers, I said, well, why do you think she's acting out? He said, well, because teenagers are rebellious. I said, yeah, but why do you think she's acting out in the way she is? He said, because that's what teenagers do. They're rebellious, and she needs some strong boundaries and all this. I go, but what do you think is driving that behavior? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, what do you think she's going through at school right now? Have you connected with maybe the pain that she's expressing or trying to medicate or what struggles she's going through? He said, no, I just thought it was rebellion. I said, well, you might want to find out what the need states are that are driving some of that. So, yes, she needs some boundaries, and she, there's got to be some limits, but there's something driving that. There's something in her heart, and that's what connection gets to. All right, so that's the first one. The second one, when we build a house... What's the next thing we do? You got a foundation. Then what happens in building a house? You frame it, right? So the frame is the structure, right, that separates the house from the one next door. Now, this is the part we call boundaries. So what's really, really important that you're building in your child is a sense, and we'll throw some words out there, of self-control, freedom, Freedom and self-control have to be equal. You can't get self-control if you're being controlled by somebody. Galatians 5 said it is for freedom that Christ has died. And see, as parents, we're afraid to give kids freedom, but that's the only way they're going to build self-control. Now turn to your spouse. I'm going to give you a chance because you're in the shrink's office tonight. I know you've been wanting to tell him something for a long time. Turn to your spouse and look him in the eye and say this. You are a control freak. <laughs> it's true, right? And you know why I can say that and I know it's true? Because they are. Because God made them that way. God made each of us to have something called self-control, autonomy. What happens is, because we're fallen human beings, we lose self-control and we're out of control of ourselves and we feel out of control. What do we do? We try to control everything around us so we feel better. And so a lot of controlling behavior really is to get you to be different so I can feel better. And that drives people crazy and what we need is kids that are in control of themselves. So how do you do this? You build their boundaries. Basically, it starts with the word no. Okay? Now remember, the word no goes both ways. I've got to be able, as a kid, I've got to be able to hear no and still love the person that's telling me no. And kids don't come that way, right? Okay. And I've also got to be able to say no. So what you're building in your child is the ability to hear and respect other people's boundaries and also to have their own. 
So we're all, when we're building equipment, we're always looking for ways to, how can I have this kid experience more and more and more and more freedom that has autonomy and also that has boundaries because there's no such thing as freedom except in relation to some kind of boundary, right? So it's got to have limits to it. So I've got freedom within certain limits. And if I cross over the limit, then I have consequences that help me understand that I've exceeded the limit. I've gone over the fence. I've gone past the boundary. What the Bible calls that is a trespass. Now, here's an interesting thing. If this were a 100-story building and I'm on the roof, and you take a bunch of people up, or a hundred, think of, you're on top of the Empire State Building, right? And I'm standing here, and it's like this. There's a hundred-story drop, okay? There's no fence. There's no guardrail. They've done studies like this, and they bring a big group of people. We're going to go look at the view, and they take them on top of the building, and they get them to just look at the view. But what happens is, when there's no fence, no guardrail, the people will... 100-story drop, they'll go to about right here. When they put a guardrail up there, they go all the way freely to the edge. And what parents have always got to be figuring out is, am I giving enough space for them to experience all of who they are without too much space to where they fall over the edge. And we make the mistake in both ways. And we do it out of our own issues. When I was a little kid, I was in a wheelchair for a couple of years. I had a, a, a hip disease in my left hip. And when I remember when the girls were little, Olivia, Olivia was a psycho. I'm not kidding. I just I wanted to put her on lithium like at birth. The girl was all over the chandeliers and everything. She was everywhere. And, and, we, and we had these stairs that were wooden stairs. And they're, you know, kind of slippery. And, and, and I was always like, and, and Tori's going, leave her alone. Let her go. And I'm like, but she, and I caught myself. I was protected. I was over-identifying with her from my own when I would fall downstairs and and braces and crutches and all that. And sometimes our own experience and our own wiring will cause us to, we have to see the kid for who they are. All right? So, boundaries, basically, I'm going to give you three words. Freedom, responsibility, and love. This is a formula, and I used to teach the kids this especially when they got to be teenagers. When they, In fact, I got one of the things that our kids hated was the whiteboard. <laughs> they call, oh, great, we're going to have a life lesson now. And so I would draw it up on the board. Actually, I'm not going to screw that up because I want to use it for something in a minute. Um, I put the formula, girls, you're about to be teenagers. And I said, here's how this is going to work. You're going to want more and more freedom in the next, you know, Call it five years. And you're going to be asking for more and more freedom. Here's my goal. I want you to have 100% freedom. I do not want to control anything you do. I am too busy to be in control of you. I want you to be in control of yourselves. And here's the way this is going to work. Freedom equals responsibility equals Love. I promise you what I will do is I will always make sure that that equation is equal. So what that means is if you have a certain amount of freedom and you use it responsibly and the way we, we evaluate what's responsible is love. Are you hurting yourself or someone else? Are you doing something destructive to you or someone else? If all of those are, e are equal, we're fine, right? But if they get off, if I give you freedom, this much freedom, and you're not using it with an equal amount of responsibility, 
because you're doing something that's you know not good for you or somebody else, then the freedom's going to go down because I will make it equal. That's my job. Your job is to figure out what you want the number to be. And you get to regulate that. So we, were, we went skiing for spring break, and Olivia had taken her best friend, Vanessa, um, to, to Utah with us. And we were sitting in the Salt Lake Airport. We got delayed. It was a Sunday night, and um, late Sunday night, and we're delayed. And Olivia goes, Dad, can Vanessa? Never mind. I said, what? She, and we're all sitting there. She goes, never mind. I said, what? She, she said, I was going to ask you, can, can, can Vanessa spend the night tonight? Sunday night. She said, but I know. I know. I shouldn't have had, you know, it's a school night. She can't spend the night. I go, Olivia, why do you ask me that? She goes, I know. I, I said, Olivia, why would you ask me that question? She goes, I know. I said, no, you don't. I said, the reason I'm asking why you asked me that question is there's a stupid question. You know how I'm going to answer it. She goes, I know. You're going to say, Olivia, how am I going to answer the question? I kept looking at her. She's trying to figure out. I said, how am I going to answer that question? And then all of a sudden she goes, the formula. I said, yeah, that's how I'm going to answer it. So she's trying to figure this out. I said, what do you think the answer is? Let me tell you the answer because I'm confusing you. You have you have you have a four point six grade point average. You're so responsible in all of your school, and I would think that have her having her spend the night tonight is going to make you flunk a test tomorrow, and not get your work done, or whatever. It'd be harmful to you or her. You wouldn't be doing it. So I'm not going to make this decision for you. You got to figure it out. But I trust you to do that. All of a sudden, Vanessa goes, will you talk to my parents? <laughs> but see, what that teaches them is self-control. And what we do a lot of times is we don't have enough or we have too much. But you don't want to debilitate your kid's ability to have something that psychologists call agency. The Bible calls freedom. Where they're making choices. I'll give you another little Bible test. What's Joshua's most famous verse? Anybody? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tell me what it says in the verse before that. Isn't this interesting how we do this? In the church. Here's what it says. If it's disagreeable to you to serve the Lord, then serve whom you will. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Freedom, responsibility, and good things follow that. But see, we forget the choice part of that. And where parents get into trouble, which does produce anxiety disorders and depression and addictions, is when we've got over-controlling stuff to where the child loses their agency, which ends up losing their ability for self-control. So what we've got to do is we have to create this space where... I want you to do this and not that. If you do this, good things happen. If you do that, not, you're not going to like it, but it's up to you. And you give them choices. And they're appropriate ones at different ages. I love the story. Um, uh, so p- picture this. Um, Johnny is 14. Johnny's on the couch playing video games. And... Um, his mom comes down the stairs and says, what are you doing? I told you, you've got to get off that couch. You need to get off that couch right now, and you need to go do your chores, and you need to get off that couch and do your homework and do the backyard, and you need, you need, you need to do all this. And Johnny's rolling his eyes and nodding, and she keeps telling him what he needs to do. If I were czar, I would make a rule that the phrase you need is no longer allowed in the English language. It is the most confusing crazy maker ever. When you say to Johnny, you need to go do your homework, Johnny's looking at you like, no, I don't. That's the last thing I need. Johnny hasn't felt that need since he's been in school. He doesn't even know what that means. What's true is I need Johnny to go do his homework because I'm feeling anxious about it. 
So here's the big thing in parenting and boundaries. What we're trying to do is we're trying to transfer the need to do the behavior from the shoulders of the parent to the only one who can do the behavior, and that's the shoulders of the child. So when I come in and say, you need to get off your button, you need to go turn off those video games, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, compare that to this. This is the parent who's in control of themselves. Johnny, can I talk to you for a second? Um, so here's the deal. You know, we're going to, to see the Lakers tomorrow. Well, we have an opportunity to see the Lakers. And we've got, you know, we've got four tickets. And so it's going to be me and your dad and your sister and you, if, because here's, here's who's going to get to go. Everybody that's done their chores today is going to get to go to the Lakers game tomorrow. So, you know, dad's got some stuff at work, and I've got to go do this, and your sister, I've already sent her off. And you, you know, I told you to finish that module in your homework and, you know, to do the backyard. So here's the way. So I, it's going to be awesome. You know, we got great seats. But here's the way it works. We're going to have an inspection at 5 o'clock, and everybody's going to meet. We're going to have a little family meeting at 5 and whoever's done their chores, they're going to get to go. So I really want you to come. I'm pulling for you. But here's how this is going to work. Do you remember um, Maggie? Do you remember her, the babysitter from hell? Remember her? You had her once? Well, I called her, and she's available tomorrow. And so if you choose to not get your stuff done, then you get to stay here with Maggie. So it's up to you. I'm pulling for you. We're going to have a great time. We're going to go with or without you, but I just want to tell you that's kind of your choice, and you get to either go to the Lakers game or hang out with Maggie. Okay, i got to run. I'll see you. I'll see you at five. There's no anger. There's no blood pressure. There's no anything except something happens that's never happened before. Johnny has a thought. That's never happened. Not only has that never happened, the thought that Johnny had has never gone through his head. You know what that thought was? Crap. I need to do my homework. See, now Johnny has a need. And Johnny's the only one that can do that. So what we're talking about with boundaries is we're talking about scenarios, and we always have these, where reality is knocking at the door that requires a response from the child to experience either something that's going to feel good or something's going to feel bad, and they learn they're in control of the quality of their life, not you. Okay? All right, that's the second one. The third one is this. Once kids get, you know, we have the empathy and the connection, and then they have the boundaries and the limits, then they're going to start to do stuff. And like you and like me, when you do stuff, it approximates some goal of the way it ought to be done, right? Approximates. Rarely do we do anything perfectly. Sometimes we get close. But it approximates how we're trying to do it. But there's some gap between what would be perfect and the reality of where I am. Okay? In other words, we live in an imperfect world. We fail. We make mistakes. It's part of life. Now, what I said was that we want to have high expectations. We want kids to, to do well. But what happens when they don't? What happens when they make mistakes? What happens when they don't do well? Or what happens when they have something bad happen? It depends on what equipment you have installed in the house. See, a house has a foundation, then it has a frame, and after you frame it, then you put in all these systems that basically do what? They regulate how it feels to live in that house. Plumbing, heating, and air conditioning, mainly. So what it does is, when it gets too hot, it cools it down. When it's too cool, it heats it up. It motivates it. It gets it moving. 
And when there's crap in the house, it flushes it out down the sewer line. See, that is God's wiring in a human. We have got to have emotional regulation that looks at our imperfections and has ways of processing failure and hurt and pain and and the equipment to when we do have crap in our life, we can flush it out. It can leave the house and we're not walking around stuck with it. So our job is to build that equipment. So what we've got is the basically the way that kids hear the voices in their head that correct them when they fail. I was doing a seminar one night. Um, it was in a church actually a long time ago, and, and um, it was it was called something you know raising successful kids, something like that. And and this lady says, so if you you know she asked a question, if you're going to raise successful kids, what's the one thing that you would tell parents to raise a successful kid? And I said, well, there's not one thing. There's I mean, it's like you know what do you want air, water, or food? There's not one thing. And she goes, yeah, but if you did one thing. I said, there's not one thing. I can't say one thing that's going to do it. She said, but if you did, what would the... I'd say, I'd tell them not to ask stupid questions. That's what I would tell them to do. I said, all right, I'm going to play your game. Here's what I would tell them to do. Teach your children how to lose. And she goes, well, we're talking about successful kids. Why do you want to teach your kids how to lose? I said, because they will. Because they will. And the difference between winners and losers is that winners lose well and losers don't. Now this turns into mental equipment. Listen to your kid and how they talk to themselves when something doesn't go well. Do they have a curious, corrective, loving, instructive voice that says, Okay, you know, it's like it's like a football player. If they throw an interception, you know, they come back to the huddle and say, "Okay, guys, I think what happened was, you know, we got to send the, the, you know, you got to you got to uh, take that defensive end out. We need more gaps, and I got to go to the pocket sooner." We're using failure. It's like when you're learning how to play golf. You know, if you you're standing there and you hit a shot and you're practicing on the range, it doesn't go. Okay, so what I need to do differently. If you hear themselves like learning and correcting themselves in a loving, correcting, guiding way versus such an idiot, I can't believe I did that, you know, and they get down on themselves and critical, I'm so stupid, and all this critical anger-based stuff, which a lot of it does come from us, right? If we lose it, they internalize that, and that's their corrective voice. Fathers, don't exasperate your children with wrath, is what Ephesians says. So what we have to do is we need to be, and remember what the Bible says, and if there's anything that neuroscience teaches us about this, is this. The wrath or the anger of man or mankind does not accomplish the righteousness of God. That's what the book of Romans says. Let me translate it. When people get mad at somebody to correct something, it doesn't make it better, it makes it worse. And the reason is the fight-or-flight brain goes up, the thinking brain goes down. Fight-or-flight is I'm going to either get mad and push against you and get defensive, or I'm going to exit the whole thing and flight and shut down. But structure is not being built. So what we want to create in children in correction is we want the expectation to be there. Let's try it again. You know, that wasn't good. We're going to try it again. We're going to stay here until we get it right and blah, blah, blah. But we have to stay away from anger. So what you're looking for in your kid is how do they look at failure and have those conversations. What do they do when they don't win? What would you learn? When, I hope what you learned is there's another game next week, Right? And do they see it as a scene in a larger movie or does failure or imperfection or whatever cause them to crash? I remember when Olivia was, was 
three or so, and we got our first little sticker thing where you have the chores and you have the little stickers you put up there. So you have the smiley faces if they do what they're supposed to, and you have a frowny face if they don't. Well, the first day she got the frowny face. I said, okay, Olivia, you got a frowny face. And we put the frowny face, and she, I thought the world had come to an end. I mean, it, do you remember that? It was devastating. It's like, I mean, it's just like screaming, 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 screaming. Like, you know, why? Because her good, bad split was being kind of like, you know, having to get integrated for the first time. And so we kind of, you know, we kind of worked through that and then we go do whatever. I came back that afternoon. The little stinker had gone and gotten a a new smiley face and put it on top of the other. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, we got a problem. We got to work on her perfectionism. So the mental health world has a term for this. You want to give your child a growth mindset instead of, they call it a fixed mindset. I call it a validation mindset. A validation mindset, and we have this problem as adults, when we look at an event, like I turned in that report, or I made that sales call, or I hit that shot on the golf course, or I made that dinner, or I threw that party, and If it doesn't go well, a validation mindset looks to events to validate, am I good or bad? Well, I'm a sucky party giver, or I'm a crummy golfer, or I'll never be a salesperson, I'll never. And and a failure tells us that we're bad, or it tells us that we look at it to validate that we're good. A growth mindset uses a failure instructively, because it's not going to tell me whether I'm good or bad. I don't worry about that anyway, because mom and dad love me. So good and bad is not really on the table, right? I'm going to use the failure to tell me how do I need, what do I need to change to do better? And that's how people grow. And that's what the Bible says, that God is perfecting those whom he's already made perfect. So he looks at us totally accepted And because of the freedom of being accepted, that we don't need to be validated each and every day, whether we're good or bad, then we're free to learn. So we want to build that capacity in kids. All right, now I want to take a a couple minutes. I've said this along the way, and I'm going to wrap it up into a mental health frame here and show you how this goes together. But I also wanted to draw one more thing. Um, I want you to remember this. This axis over here is challenge, and this one's ability, okay? This zone right in here, that's where we want, here's sort of the air traffic controller. That's where you want to be pushing your kids into that zone. Here's what happens. If they have the ability to do more high ability Low challenge, way down here. Then their soul is falling asleep. It's disengaged, and it will look for stimulation. Okay, It may be in a lot of bad stuff, but it's just like you. If you keep doing the same old job over and over and over again, there's never any challenge where you just sort of, you know, you get disengaged and, and all of that, Okay. So what do we need to do? Well, if their abilities have gotten here, we need to up the challenge. Instead of being here, we're going to up the challenge and pull them up here into the zone. And where we want to pull them is we want to pull them right above the line into the overwhelmed place. Okay? Now, I don't mean really overwhelm them, because that's when we have expectations where we're challenging kids. There's no way that's way above their ability or way above their, their developmental level. And if they're doing that, we want to bring them back down here. But sometimes they'll try to be here, and sometimes they'll try to be here. Our job is to always keep them here. When I was teaching Lucy how to swim, you know, had her in the corner of the pool, and I said, okay, swim to Daddy. And she goes, no, Daddy, closer. And I take a step. She goes, okay, swim to daddy. No, daddy, closer. And, I go, and finally, it's like, Lucy, this isn't swimming. <laughs> you know, you got to get out here. And I'm not going to go to the other end where she can drown. But we've always got to be 
we've always got to be looking for what they can't quite do that we're trying to equip them to do. And that's how that's going to continue to go up. I remember touring our dinner party one night and somebody was talking about their, their kid. They, you know, they're so tired that night because the night before the kids were up so late, their kids were what? I remember this six, five or six years old or something. I don't remember. Four, three, something. Actually, I'm confusing two things, um, actually. One of them was they were up too late, and we're thinking, who's the parent in this house? I mean, how do the kids get to get to set the bedtime rule? And they go, well, that's what... And, and seriously, they were taking the cues from the kids when you go to bed. Huh? They were too? But but the other story I was thinking of was was it was that they were they were tired because um, or hassled because that morning they they couldn't get the kids you know couldn't get the kids to get up and get out of bed in time to get out you know get ready and go to school and and they're like five or six years old or something like that I go what what do you mean they can't what are you talking about and they said well you know how you can't get them up if they won't get up and we're going. If they're six years old, they should be setting their own alarm clock and waking themselves up and getting dressed and being downstairs. And they literally looked at us like, you can't expect a six-year-old to do that. So we did this morning. See, a lot of times, we're not, we're not thinking that there's more that they can do than they're doing right now. And I'll close with this, and we'll take it to questions. Galatians 4 says... When we were children, we were under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. That's when you get released into adulthood. Guardians and managers, that's kind of the role of parenting, in addition to being a source. You guard your kids from two things. You guard them from their grandiosity, where they think they can do more than they're ready to do. Okay, so you don't let them go play if they haven't learned how to stay on the sidewalk yet. They will always want to do more than they're mature enough to handle. But you also have to guard them from the regression of wanting to do less than they need to be able to learn to do. They'll always back away from the anxiety of getting stronger. We all do that. There's a 40% rule. We think we've hit the limit at 40% of what we can actually accomplish. Okay? So those are big principles. Quickly on the mental health side, because you know, we've kind of talked about this throughout, but what causes depression? Number one, disconnectedness. You've got to monitor your child's connection tank with you and with the people, their friends, the people that matter to them, well, we're always trying to make sure, and what connection means is not necessarily being in people's presence, it's being connected to people from their need states, that they're having transformational experiences. When they feel down, they have somebody to talk to. When they feel excited, somebody celebrates. Somebody knows their heart, and we've always got to be monitoring, do they have the connection they need? And number two, is it the right kind of connection? And that's where peer groups and choosing friends, sometimes you have to guard them from connecting with the wrong people. Okay? That causes depression. It causes addictions. It causes anxiety disorders. Secondly, the boundaries, the self-control. How much do they, you know, you got, you got one that tries to always, you know, push the limit and can't hear no and can't tolerate that. Then you've got to really, you know, start to have some stronger boundaries. And the way you do that is you give them the choices with the responsibility to experience those and have the consequences. But also, you've got to make sure that they're building their own boundaries and being able to say no to kids that are hurting them and being strong enough to and know that that's okay. Teach them no is a complete sentence. You know, there's all sorts of ways we teach kids. You know, I remember the girls came home one day from from preschool and they, they said, we learned a song. I said, what is it? They go, stop, don't touch me there. These are my no-no squares. <laughs> all right.
Okay, there's one way to say no. Teach them a song. <laughs> but you're teaching them. You're teaching them. You don't have to do what you don't have to do what your friend wants to do. If you don't do that, you can say no. And building that no in them. What happens when you don't have no? You have anxiety disorders and or depression. By and large, I'm talking kind of 80-20 here. And if we're going to help, help kids recover from panic and anxiety and this and the other, they've got to experience separateness and know that that's not dangerous and that they have to be in control of themselves. And then think of the anxiety and the depression that comes from perfectionism and feeling like I'm bad and a failure and all of that or not being able to take the trash out to process negative emotions. That's basically 80% of mood disorders, anxiety disorders, addictions. If we can build these competencies, you know, we're going to have kids that do pretty well. And by the way, I don't know if any of you have been noticing but I'm not talking only about our kids. I'm talking about us, right? Because what we're talking about is building a human. And I'm talking to a bunch of big kids in here. So as COVID has wrecked everybody's mental health, I want you to take an inventory of your connectedness because COVID has wiped that out in a lot of people. Who's hearing your deepest heart's cries? Your sense of being in control where you feel like you're being controlled or dominated or lost freedom or don't have any good boundaries and extended families controlling you or somebody. And thirdly, how you're processing the negative stuff where you've gotten too critical and too negative down on yourself and all that. All three of those affect us as well. Okay? So let's take, um, let's take some questions.